welcome to the Growth Tribe Podcast, where we're all about growing ourselves to create lives we effing love on our terms. I'm Ellen, and I'm a former biomedical researcher turned coach who fell in love with personal growth when it empowered me to transform my health, quit my PhD, travel the world, and start my own business. But do not get me wrong, I'm still figuring my shit out too, and I'm so pumped to share what I'm learning along the way. We've got amazing interviews, big stories, tips, tricks, and no bullshit action steps that we can all learn from. So with that, welcome to this episode of The Growth Drive. Hey friend, welcome back to The Growth Tribe Podcast. I am so excited today because today we are kind of flipping roles from our last interview. If you recall, our last interview was kind of a weird one for me because I was actually being interviewed by a friend of mine. Well, we're taking that episode and we are switching roles because today I am interviewing the wonderful Elena Thurston. Elena is a inspirational speaker, a transformational retreat leader, and a writer who recently gave her first TED Talk at TEDx Colorado Springs. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this is a long interview because I personally felt like there was so much power in the story that I did not want to cut Elena off at any point. I did not want to trim her down because her story is powerful. She is going to get into all things, but really what the story is about is authenticity. It's about releasing self-judgment and releasing our own labels that we place upon ourselves. And I personally saw so much of myself in the story and know that you're going to see so much of yourself in it as well. So I hope that the story resonates with you, whether or not you dealt with some of the extreme things that she had to deal with along her journey. I'm sure there's going to be something in here that you can really appreciate and resonate with. So with that, we're not going to waste any more time and we're going to get into today's episode with Elena Thurston. Mm -hmm. Elena, I'm so pumped to have you. Welcome to the podcast, girl. Thank you. So excited to be here. It's so surreal because I've listened to so many episodes and now to be interviewed is like, woo! <laughs> well, and I don't know if you know this, but a couple weeks before this one comes out, I'm going to also do the one where you kind of interviewed me. Oh, nice. So you guys have kind of heard from Elena before, but you get to hear Elena's side of the story today. So I am super excited about that. Um, so to get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll kind of dive into things. Awesome. I love it. So I'm on the West Coast as well, but kind of opposite. I'm down in Arizona outside of Phoenix. She's in the warm part of the West Coast. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Very warm. Extremely warm. (laughs) Um, I've got four kids. My oldest is 17. He's a senior in high school. So I'm experiencing that chaos right now. And then my youngest is nine. She's in third grade. So that's awesome. I'm a single mom. And yeah, I am a public speaker. I lead retreats. I'm a writer. I do all the things. She does do all the things. And honestly, she's like the person who's on my short list of, okay, when I do my first retreat, I'm going to pick Elena's brain about how I do this. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) She does do all of the things. So like kind of give us a little bit of the backstory on how you got to where you are now, because you have a very different past in terms of like work you were doing and just kind of lifestyle, right? So why don't you give us a little bit of backstory on that? Okay. So I'm going to start shallow and we'll go deep wherever you want to go deep. (laughs) Amen. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) So um, my prior careers included, I was a professional photographer for 10 years and I did not do weddings. I did everything else. I did 
family photos, family photos were my bread and butter. I did um, a lot of high school seniors. It's funny. I can't say senior photography anymore because like half the population thinks I'm talking about like, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as soon as you said it, I was just like, oh, like old people. Yeah. Okay. No. (laughs) High school seniors. (laughs) Although I did do work. I, um, one of my clients was this dentist that did like restorative stuff and uh-huh. so wanted to show before and afters for, for a video, a branding video that he did. So for like three days, I did have like actual seniors in my studio with beautiful brand new smiles. So that was really fun. It was the one time that I got to be like, I actually photograph seniors. <laughs> <laughs> Senior smiles of all things. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. And then before that, I was actually a real estate agent. Um, I specialized in families that were relocating here to the valley and Mm -hmm. helping them find really good schools and school districts. And I actually had quite a few clients from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Yeah. It was like every February or March, I would get like an influx of my Northwesters and they were like, give me the sun. (laughs) We were literally just talking about vitamin D deficiencies before we push, push record, guys, because it's October yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. And sometimes it's sunny, but sometimes it's disgusting. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and I was commenting about how here in Arizona we have plenty of sun, but we actually hide from it. So we have vitamin D deficiencies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grass isn't always greener. Basically. It isn't. It isn't. <laughs> Okay, so photography, real estate, mm-hmm. any other uh, back careers we need to know about to know you or previous careers? I don't know why I said back careers. Right? No, that was pretty much it. Um, so there was a clue. Well, I have my bachelor's degree in theater, which is very helpful when I'm doing public speaking now. So how did I not know that about I you? Oh, I was like, we like nerd out on musical theater and like have a like singing jam session together please absolutely yes yes <laughs> that's why yeah. I brought her on the podcast we're done now bye um, <laughs> I, my four kids have the entire show of Hamilton memorized and it's hysterical to watch my nine-year-old white girl like rap down the stairs every morning and the British cannons go boom <laughs> it's hysterical it's so funny that is fantastic. Oh, my God. So, like, huge diversity of career. I like that the theater thing came back and helped yeah. you with public speaking. I always say that about, because I didn't do theater a ton, but I did a lot of choir and vocal performance. Yes. Yeah. That comfort with being visible mm-hmm. is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know why I 100% ever got comfortable with it. I definitely still got a little stage fright here and there. Because, oh, random fact about Ellen. I started having stage fright after I forgot my piano piece at a competition like you were supposed to memorize it and I was like 12 and I got up there and I started playing and then I just blanked and I forgot the rest of it and I'd never had stage fright before that day but I had it after that day yeah because that's pretty traumatic right there yeah yeah absolutely okay so then how did you get into all the coaching the retreats the speaking yeah what was the process there well I have a story and it's always a challenge to figure out how to attack this to make Mm -hmm. it as relatable as possible. Um, I had a crazy childhood and I needed as a teenager, I needed a way to um, feel 
like I was progressing. I think that's another thing that you and I really resonate with each other on. I really need to know that I'm getting better, that Mm -hmm. I'm a better person this year than I was last year. Like that's a core value for me is growth. So I was a teenager and I was surrounded by all this dysfunction and chaos and really craving a, a way to feel like I'm on the right path. I'm becoming a better person. And so friends introduced me to a church and it was, it definitely felt like, yes, this is what I need. This is a framework. This is a structure. I have a list of to do's. And as I check them off, I will know I am a good person. Mm -hmm. And so I was 16 when I joined the church and I was, I went off, I put myself through college. I was 19 when I met my future husband and I was 20 when we got married. Mm -hmm. Um, So very young. And we went on to live a very structured, perfect life. Like we really did. Like he got his bachelor's, he got his master's. We had four kids. He very quickly rose in the industry that he was in. Um, He was named like the top 40 under 40 in our metropolitan area. Yeah, because he was partner in his firm when he was 38, I think. Wow. So, yeah, you know, and so we lived in this very, (laughs) hearkening back to the real estate days, Mm -hmm. there were times when people would come into town and I would show them homes and they would be like, it's so brown here. (laughs) Like, it's just really brown. And the minute I heard those words, I knew exactly where to take them. Mm -hmm. There was this one neighborhood in town that um, they used reclaimed water to water all the front lawns. All the front lawns were required to have grass, Mm -hmm. literally white picket fences around the entire neighborhood, really tall walnut trees everywhere. Like it, it feels like a beautiful craftsman neighborhood. That's Mm -hmm. not in Phoenix, Arizona. It's like the total picture of like American suburbia. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. There's like a fishing lake in the middle of the community, like the whole thing. Okay. So we ended up living in that neighborhood, of course, because we were that family, two boys, two girls, husband, wife, beautiful suburban neighborhood. I drove the minivan. I baked bread every week. I did all the things. I checked all the boxes and I knew I was a good person. Um, And then my youngest went to school and I started to fall apart a little bit. Um, and I, you could say that's just a simple transition. Every stay at home mom goes through that transition. Um, and really that's all I thought it was, was I just needed to remember who I was before I had kids. I needed to find myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had all this time on my hands and my thoughts were racing all the time and I needed them to just shut up. <laughs> So um, I was doing photography at the time and I had a client ask me for photography lessons and he was a long distance running person. Like we had been family friends for a long time and I was like, Hey, I'll give you photography lessons. If you coach me on how to start running, like I need to, I realized really quickly that when I ran, I couldn't think because I had to breathe. (laughs) See, and then you have some people, I have never understood the people who are distance runners who are like, oh, this is my time to think. I'm like, this is my time to make sure my body works right. Like, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I have to 
to think about a million things, like taking that next breath and not tripping over the curb and yeah. <laughs> like all yeah. the things. Yeah. You know, or for my broken self, making sure I'm stepping right so that I don't like injure myself exactly. along the path of trying to run. Exactly. Yes. It was like a great way literally to turn off the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I started running a lot and I loved it. I loved the endorphins. I loved turning off the racing thoughts. And then um, my good friend wanted to start working out. She didn't want to do it alone. So we started working out together. And that turned into, oh, I really love weightlifting because we tracked the workouts, right? Like we tracked the load and then we planned the next load. And I could literally see see the the numbers increasing. Mm -hmm. My weight was decreasing. Look at my growth. Look at my progress. Mm. I love this. And when you're doing a deadlift with 200 pounds, you cannot think about anything else <laughs> or you will kill yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. I was watching like a CrossFit documentary at one point, And one of the guys like he lifted. Um, I think he deadlifted like 400 pounds or something like that. And one of the like smaller CrossFit athletes, he goes, if I tried to deadlift 400 pounds, my spine would literally shoot out of my back. Right. <laughs> exactly. I died. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> like, you be thinking about your anxiety when you're deadlift squatting or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found a lot of solace in those activities, but Looking back, I realized I was really using them to just run away from my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can only sustain that for so long. So I was working the business. I was being the stay at home mom. I was very active in my church. I mean, that took up like 30 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping like maybe five hours a night and doing everything. Um, And then I picked up another hobby joined a club, met a woman. That is like the most summarized version of that I've ever said. (laughs) Met a woman who became a very, very good friend. And within a few months, I realized I was really attracted to her. And um, that wasn't okay for like a lot of different reasons. Obviously, I was married. But also, all of those boxes that I had ticked off would be negated by the fact if I acted on same-sex attraction, Mm -hmm. um, I would not be with my family forever. I would not go to heaven. I would not be a good person, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything I had spent the last 18 years doing would be negated if I acted on this attraction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't, I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't have the presence of mind to, to step back and be like, okay, but, if you're attracted to her way more than you've ever been attracted to your husband, maybe that's who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I couldn't, I didn't mm-hmm. have the self-awareness to stop and ask myself that question. Elena, mm-hmm. are you gay? Mm-hmm. It just, it, it didn't occur to me. All that occurred to me was that I was broken and I needed to get fixed quickly mm-hmm. because I was really having a hard time not giving in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part of it is obviously I was dealing with some anxiety and some depression. And when I was with her, I felt this calm and this clarity. So unfortunately it felt like the only way I could trust my thoughts and trust my feelings was when I was with her. She felt like the key to my sanity. So then there was the extra pressure of, I can't act on these feelings because I'll ruin the friendship and she'll be gone. 
So for like five different really important reasons, I needed to shut this down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up really struggling. The anxiety and the depression got worse. And I ended up being referred to this therapist. And he basically, well, first I went, <laughs> first I went to this woman who said, don't you ever tell your kids. You will destroy them. Mm-hmm. You will, and, and and I remember her telling me, I work with so many adults whose parents came out to them as they were kids, and it destroyed their concept of family. It destroyed their concept of gender identity. Um, you you will really be a disservice to your kids if you ever tell them that you struggle with same sex attraction. And I really took that to heart because my kids are the most important thing in the world to me. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, if I can't come out to my kids, I might as well stay in this marriage, right? Like I might as well make this, try and make this work. And there's lots and lots of stories, especially inside the religion of people who that's just something they struggle with. Same sex attractions is a struggle, just like someone who's in a wheelchair, they struggle. And so it's just what they're asked to deal with in this life. Mm -hmm. And to be a good person, you figure out how to deal with your struggle. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, if I can never come out to my kids, I'll make this marriage work and I'll just deal with the struggle. I need help to deal with the struggle. Okay. Here's this therapist who says that he can, he can fix it. He can make it better. So I went to him and he was like, there's probably been some trauma in your past And that's what made you think that you have a same-sex attraction. And if we heal the trauma, the attraction will go away and you'll be able to have this successful marriage. So I signed up because that sounded like exactly the answer I needed, Mm -hmm. right? So it was two hours a day, four days a week, and I went for months. And what I didn't know at the time was that any therapy – who tries to um, fix a same-sex attraction and results in heteronormative attraction is considered uh, conversion or reparative therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's been debunked by the APA. There's no way for practitioners to be trained in it. So it can't even technically be called a therapy. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know. More like opinion-based? Mm-hmm. Actually, is what they're trying to say? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I think that wasn't a thing we did anymore, but I didn't know it had been debunked by the APA and all of that stuff. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so the other part of that, that of course I didn't know, and if he knew, he certainly didn't share with me, Mm -hmm. is that people who go through conversion therapy have a 60% suicide rate. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's why 18 states have outlawed it, um, and quite a few counties in other mm-hmm. states have outlawed it, and it's actually on the ballot in Utah right now um, to ban conversion therapy for minors, um, because the leading cause of death for minors in the state of Utah is suicide. Wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of conversion therapy camps in Utah, in Colorado, um, throughout the southeast, like mm-hmm. in the south, um, yeah, wow, people make a lot of money with it. 
so how did you, I don't even know how to ask the question in a way that's any sort of like, how did you survive the therapy then? So basically I don't want to say survive, but like, I know like luck, the horrible, the good thing, the wonderful thing is that the woman I was attracted to was attracted to me as well. Mm -hmm. But we, um, didn't have any contact as I was going through this therapy because mm-hmm. I was trying to fix myself. Mm-hmm. And months and months and months later, like, yes, I have trauma in my past. 75% of American women do. 75% of American women are not gay. <laughs> so, so we did trauma work on mm-hmm. my experiences in the past. And I still dreamed every night about being with her. Like, I still couldn't hold my husband's hand. Like, I still, it just wasn't working. And during that time, we actually call it the dark ages. Um, She thought about moving out of the state because she was like, Elena's moving on with her life. I need to move on with my life. And I don't think I can do it if I'm still here. Mm -hmm. Um, But she didn't. She hadn't yet. Um, And I had been in it seven, eight months. And felt and and even the therapist was like, okay, well, I feel like we've healed everything. I mean, it was four days a week, two hours mm-hmm. a day. Like that's like in, that's like boot camp. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I think I think we've done it. Um, why don't we have a session with your husband and see if there's anything we need to fix there? And that was really, for me, it was like, okay, this is my last, like, I've tried everything. And that was really important to me that I tried everything. This was an 18-year marriage. I'm not yeah. going to throw that away, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah. So coming into it, did he have context for what was going on? Like, yeah. he knew what therapy you were going into, all of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. The goal was that I would not be attracted to a mm-hmm. woman. I would be attracted to him. Mm-hmm. That was the goal of the therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came to a session. And in that session, I realized this marriage is not going to work. Mm-hmm. And and it probably it might have come from that trauma healing. Mm-hmm. It might have come from me. I mean, I brought up stuff I hadn't thought about since I was a kid, mm-hmm. right? And, and worked on that and really got to know myself mm-hmm. and realized through some behaviors that were shown at that session, I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer okay with how this relationship is working. Whether this woman and I end up together or not, I don't think I can stay in this marriage mm-hmm. for myself. And a huge part of it was realizing I had really justified in my head, oh, I just don't like cuddling. I'm just not a cuddler. And I don't like holding hands. And don't you dare walk up from behind me and hug me or I will kick you. (laughs) Right? And in my head, I was like, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And, And I started to realize, like, no, Alina, that's intimacy. And if you don't have that with someone you've been married to for 18 years and you have set this example of what intimacy is to your kids for that long, do you want that relationship for them when they find someone they're in love with that my boys won't know how to hug and cuddle and, you know, like that's, 
that's not okay. That I don't want to be modeling that version of intimacy for my kids. I thought it was okay because I thought it was just who I was. But mm-hmm. then I realized, no, this is really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so with that realization, especially for my kids, again, they're the most important thing to me. I was weighing like, do I keep modeling this type of relationship or do I put them through a divorce? Mm-hmm. And that session, it only took one, made me realize the lesser evil here is the divorce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I was very lucky. Now, I will say um, I did get to a point where I was, I was within hours of taking my own life. Mm-hmm. I was there. Um, that was the, the deepest part of the pit Mm -hmm. and it's a huge part of my motivation to do what I do Mm -hmm. because I know what that's like. I know the planning that takes place, you Mm -hmm. know, I know the, the rationalization that takes place Mm -hmm. and it's not okay that there are people that don't realize like I don't ever want another husband or another dad to say, okay, if you think you're gay, this is going to be a really hard life for you. How can I help? Oh, I've heard about this thing that might help. Yeah. And to not realize what they're putting at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anyone does it maliciously. I really don't. Mm-hmm. No one sends a loved one to conversion therapy thinking, oh, and if they decide to take their own life, it's worth it. Like no one thinks that. Yeah. Right. But the information is not there that you're literally putting their life at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like that is a powerful mission in and of itself. And I think what just knowing you and who you are now, the transformation that can happen going from being in your dark ages, as you called them. Yeah. To now. Yeah. Like that's uplifting in and of itself. You can do this like you can emerge from the darkness. So talk a little bit about how you did emerge from dark ages, having this incredible realization of it doesn't even matter if things work out with this other woman. I can't stay in this marriage. I need to be authentic to who I am and what I want. Like, how did you emerge from that? Um, Well, it started on the day that I was ready to take my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a very good friend who was able to get me into professional medical help very quickly. Mm -hmm. And she sat with me in that office during the two hour intake answering a bazillion horrible questions. (laughs) They do it alphabetically. So the first question was, have you ever experienced any physical or sexual abuse? Abuse. (laughs) The next one was addiction, but the first one was abuse. I'd been in the office like 10 minutes. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's a crazy. You have to wonder the people who designed those forms, like, do you have any compassion? Right? <laughs> like, maybe that's not the good first question to ask. Like, maybe, maybe not age before abuse. I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, my God. How old are you? Okay, I can answer that. Right? I can leave that one. How many siblings do you have? I Start can... off slow, guys. <laughs> Build up to the big trusting question. Yeah. My God. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... There was a moment in that appointment, it was probably three quarters of the way through. She was still going down the intake form. And she finally said, something must have prompted her, a look on my face or something, where she said, you're getting help. Like today, right now, 
I'm not letting you leave this office without a plan in place. And it was like, oh, okay. It, it almost felt like that whole time I was like, I think I need help, but maybe I don't. And should I be trying to prove to her that I need help? Or should I be trying to prove to her that I'm sane? I don't feel sane, but maybe I need to be sane, right? Like all those things. And when she That's said the that, like, of the inner monologue was just beyond perfect. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Keep going. <laughs> So she was just like, yes, you're getting help. And, and then I did. When I left, I left with four different prescriptions. Mm-hmm. And I was released into my friend's care um, mm-hmm. to make sure I didn't harm myself. And that, um, obviously, the chemicals really can help when your mm-hmm. serotonin is so low. You know, and she made something really clear that when the depression and the anxiety peaks at the same time, Something that can happen is you can hear voices and they can tell you to harm yourself or harm others. And that's what it was for me, you know, for it had started and it was just my own critical voice, which we're all very used to. Right. And then that that critical voice that was my own started saying things that I would never say to myself. Mm -hmm. And that felt odd, but not dangerous, just odd. And then it morphed into there were voices that were screaming at me. Mm-hmm. And that's when it got scary and very dis- disconcerting because when your own mind is not a safe place to be, mm-hmm. how do you rationalize the entire world around you? Right. Mm-hmm. So um, so when she explained that, that was really helpful. And so the the chemicals and the drugs definitely helped. But looking back, I think a huge thing that helped was they literally knocked me out. <laughs> like I was on 24 hour extended release Xanax. So mm-hmm. I had Xanax running through my body 24 hours a day for like six months. Like talk about a downer. <laughs> like, I could like, I could maintain eye contact and make complete sentences. And that was about it. <laughs> like, But it was very, very good because you know, the previous three years had been running my body into the ground so Mm -hmm. that I didn't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. Now I was in a position of, well, I couldn't really form complete thoughts, but I could sleep like hell. It was (laughs) awesome. I slept like 12 hours a night. Which, like, it's interesting because I wonder if you'd been able to turn off the, like, the chatter in your head. That's probably exactly what your body needed. So it's like, I definitely, I've had somebody come on here, like talking about getting off of her depression medications. Like I've had one of those interviews and how powerful it was for her to get rid of that. But there's also like, I like that you talked about, there's a place for it and there's a use for it. Like your body was probably desperate for physical recuperation. Yes. Desperate for it, but it couldn't because the thoughts were running. Exactly. Exactly. It was like the chemicals were able to just take the volume down enough so that I could sleep enough so that then I could like function and I could do normal things like sit on the couch with my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, like the little things that I needed to remind myself of who I was. Mm -hmm. And and it did allow clarity, like sitting in that counseling session with my ex-husband and realizing, no, no, this isn't okay with me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just not. And I, and it's time to move on. And so but then it became, okay, now I'm in a divorce situation 
And he knows I had suicidal ideations, mm-hmm. knows that I'm on my medications. If he wanted to pursue sole custody, he could. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, man, I need to get real better, real fast. I need to be real functional real quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm on these four medications. How do I drop it down to one? Or, and so I just created this plan. And so I was desperate. I mean, when you're at a moment where you're like, I might lose custody of my four children. Mm-hmm. How do the I, most important thing in your life. Exactly. Yeah. How do I regain my sanity as healthy as possible? And so there was a lot of things, right? And meditation became one of them. Mindfulness became one of them. Exercise. But I, I literally don't allow myself to run right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I would go on five mile walks, mm-hmm. you know, like there was, I was desperate to do anything I could to get off my meds mm-hmm. because I needed to prove that I was a fit mom. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of motivation, yeah, I'm going to meditate every day. Yeah. I'm going to journal every day. And, and it wasn't like he wasn't automatically going to get custody because of my meds. But when I could come to my therapist who was going to document the session for my lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. When I could come to her and say, I've walked every day for this whole week. I've journaled every day. I've meditated every day, right? Then I'm proving to everyone, whether that's a judge or a therapist or my ex-husband, like I am so proactive on protecting my mental health. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really important. And it set me on this really beautiful, wonderful path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So how did how did that path then lead to because so Elena and I, which you guys probably got some context of this in the intro. Um, Elena and I know each other because we met through a mastermind. Right. We met through Amber Lillystrom's mastermind, which I've had many lovely women from that mastermind <laughs> on this podcast. And it has been fantastic. She attracts the most amazing women. I know, right? I'm so yeah. grateful for like our little group of sisters and how we stayed <sighs> in contact. And oh, my God, like, yeah, it's fun because. I feel like so many of you guys are like the opposite of me in the best ways. Yes. You bring the woo woo out in me and I need it. Um, (laughs) And you bring the strategic right brain to us, which we need. Uh Exactly. I love how I just dropped my keyboard. Yay. Wireless keyboards. Um, Yeah. So like, how did this, so I love all of the steps you talked about proactively taking back your mental health and seriously, people take note of some of the things that she said, because I think those are some of the best possible practices you can adopt for your mental health. How did it land you in a mastermind and, and speaking and and all of that, like that had to be a pretty like rough transition in some senses to be like, I went through all of this. I definitely think it's a powerful thing and a powerful concept to share with people so that they're aware. Right. But sharing your story and being that authentic. Right. It's tough. So how did you, how did you kind of wrap your mind around that and decide that that's what you wanted? So, um, the practical side of me and how I've typically answered this question is, um, in Arizona, you are not guaranteed alimony, even though you've been married for 18 years, put him through college and now he's a partner. Mm-hmm. We're not guaranteed alimony. You have to prove to the judge that you have a plan for becoming self-sufficient mm-hmm. and then maybe you'll get alimony. Mm-hmm. So I created, so I went very right brain, right? Mm-hmm. What's the most stable industry possible? Healthcare. Everyone's going to get sick and die. <laughs> <laughs> 
subtle. I like it. <laughs> okay, what part of healthcare do I want to be in? Okay, I'll pick this one. It has a lot of job opportunities. Okay, what's the school you need to go to to be certified? I'll pick this one. I applied to the school. I got accepted. And then my body went, hell to the no. <laughs> no. We just have no. me snorting on a podcast recording. Cool. Um, <laughs> My body like shut down. And even though I had been like physically functional for like a year, all of a sudden I was back in that place of sleeping 12 hours a day and then napping for another four hours a day, only functional when my kids were home from school. And I was not on all the meds. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. But I wasn't even awake enough long enough to think about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And finally I got to that the end of that month and I was like, oh. I'm not supposed to do this plan. That was your, your body pushing back against yes. the plan. Oh. And the minute I released that plan, I had been accepted to the school and everything. And when I was ready to release it, my body was like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> good, good, good. But then I was like, okay, but I still need something. Yeah. So in that time frame, in the interim, you know, when I decided to end the marriage and I moved out, I put religion on the back burner. It was like, okay, I've been married since I was 20. I need to figure out a way to get a rental. I need furniture for the rental. Like, I just had to be really practical for a really long time. And the fact was with the religion, I wasn't allowed to take the sacrament. I wasn't allowed to pray in public. I wasn't allowed to teach the Sunday school class to five-year-olds anymore. Mm -hmm. All part of the repentance process, right? Mm -hmm. Because I had sinned because I had acted on my same-sex attraction. So it was like, well, I'm just not going to go to church right now because I'm, I can't fully function in there anyway. So mm -hmm. here I am, I'm living my life, setting up my home for the first time in my adult life, like doing everything. And man, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. My own master bedroom. I had my own bathroom. I could leave my tampons out everywhere. <laughs> you know what? That is so true because I still live with my parents. Um, and my dad's around and I don't leave my tampon box out. Right? And I miss just being able to just boop, plop it on the counter and be like, zero fucks given. Exactly. 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 It was wonderful. And it, was, it just felt so safe. You know, I was going out on my walks every day. And walking back to the house one morning, I had this big memory of living in the white picket fence neighborhood, going out on my runs every morning. And I would come back to the house just as everyone was waking up. And, you know, you walk at the end of the run, right? So I'm walking mm -hmm. back to the house and I would think, okay, get ready. Like you, you got to be functional. You got to be, you got to be that mom. You got to be that wife. Mm -hmm. Do it. Right. And I'd have to talk myself up. And here I am living in my rental, uh, going through a divorce and walking back to my home in the mornings and realizing I don't I don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. like, he's not there. The expectations aren't there. The mm -hmm. environment isn't there. Like, it's just all me. And it's wonderful. <laughs> it was just so liberating. Yeah. And so here I am in this very safe place, and it was like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm doing. I know I'm gay at this point, mm -hmm. and I know that I'm Mormon at this point. So mm -hmm. those two ideas don't coexist very well. And so one night, I just talked to God, and I just say, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to be that gay Mormon who goes to church hoping that the church leadership will change their minds? 
people do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Is that what you want me to do? Or do you want me to be done? Like, Mm -hmm. which is the better path? Because even if it felt like going to church was the right thing, I'd be dragging my kids through that. Mm -hmm. They'd be the kids with the gay mom. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to resolve that for them. And so the answer came very quickly. I've always had a great open relationship with the divine and I've always been guided. And the answer came, you're done. And I could feel like my energy clunk, like, and, and later like there's in a, a, in a re- good way. Sorry. In a good way. In a profound way. Yeah. I would say. Um, later I realized a lot of people use the analogy of their shelf broke. So every time something came up in the religion that they were like, well, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. They were told or, or they felt that they were going to put that on a shelf and deal mm-hmm. with it later. You know, the answers would come eventually, maybe in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this issue's come up again. I'm going to put that on the shelf. And eventually your shelf breaks. Mm-hmm. And so people, that was an analogy that a lot of people have used because they felt it emotionally, physically, their shelf broke. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have that analogy at the time, but it's very apropos to how it felt. Mm-hmm. Something inside just broke. Mm-hmm. But then it was clear, like, okay, now I know what to do. And so then I, a very healthy way of doing a faith transition is um, spending some time with other members that are in the same transition. Mm-hmm. If you spend too much time, you get really bitter and angry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're going through that, find that community, be there for as long as you need to be there, but then make sure you have an escape plan because mm-hmm. it's, it can be just as cyclical as the religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was life altering to realize, oh my gosh, there's thousands of women in my community mm-hmm. that have also left this very strict religion mm-hmm. and they're good people. What? Like they're good moms and they're good wives and they're good members of society, but they're apostate, Mm -hmm. right? So there was all these different labels flying around. And so it just, um, they would hear my story and they would say, oh, my cousin needs to hear this. I think Mm -hmm. she's struggling with same-sex attraction too. Or, oh, that was my story. And I didn't realize there was anyone else there like that too. And yeah, I went to conversion therapy too. And, and so I realized there was an audience that needed to hear it. And so then I had been listening to Amber's podcast. I contacted her and I was like, I think my story's powerful. It seems to resonate with people. Do you think I should pursue this? And she was like, yeah. Hell to the yeah. Even though Amber <laughs> doesn't say that, but she was thinking it. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, here I am now. Here I am now. Exactly. Exactly. That was one of those stories that I was just like, I'm just going to let her go. Like, cause your, your story, there are so many layers to it, but I'm really happy that at the end there, you said something about labels. Yeah, that was something that I mean, so much of your story resonates with me. I may not have I don't have kids. I I didn't have an 18 year marriage, but like talking about trying to figure out who you were and feeling like you were running away from some of the struggles, 
Like yeah. I definitely had elements of some of the things that I did in my life when I was struggling with, with school and the path mm-hmm. that that was sending me down. I essentially just distracted myself with a whole bunch of things. Right. Because I felt like, well, I should be on this path. So I need right. to just get over my shit. And right. if this helps distract me to do that, okay, cool. I'm going to do it. Right. But I think one of the biggest things I loved was the thing about labels mm. and, and how, like, do you feel like it was that you had to, release some of the labels or redefine some of the labels because you talked about like I was a good person multiple times throughout your story so how do you feel like labels played a role and how do you think you moved past whatever role that they played um I think the simple answer to that question is for 18 years of my life my labels were my identity Mm-hmm. I have been able to get to a point where, yes, I still wear labels. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with my identity. Mm-hmm. And that is pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. As an, as, I love that answer. I, cause mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I ran into too. Like mm-hmm. my label was, you know, the smart sibling. My label mm-hmm. was, the the scientist the grad student like I literally took a class in the business school and I was in graduate school and they just called me the PhD student oh my gosh like it was who I was so like that behind it was like somebody ripped out this big part of me and I didn't know who I was anymore yes like Mm -hmm. spirituality I always felt like well I'm I'm not a spiritual person I never have been but like, don't ever try to tell me I'm not a moral person because my version of spirituality is I know my morals yeah, and I will do whatever the hell I need to, to live according to them. So that may not be conventional spirituality, but that's my spirituality. That's not religion, but that's spirituality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like learning to realize that your labels are a part of you, but they're not you. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Not being defined by those labels. Exactly. I didn't didn't know who I was without the labels. And so when the labels came off, when the Mormon mom came off, the Mormon wife came off, you know, I was a Cub Scout leader for like a billion years. Right. And it's really a huge part of somehow I let that define who I was. And so when all those labels came off and, and it got very intrinsic, um, when you're Mormon, like the highest level of membership is when you can carry a temple recommend, which is this little card. You cannot get into the temple without it. Mm-hmm. And you have to do an interview every year in order to get that card signed by your leader so that you can go in. And, the, and it's literally called a worthiness interview. So when I went in and confessed my same-sex attraction, my temple recommend was taken away because I'm no longer worthy to go in the temple. So talk about a label. Mm -hmm. Because that was a phrase that was used all the time. Oh, she can't go. She's not temple worthy. Wow. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that's how it worked. So my best friend from high school um, is Mormon. I was her maid of honor at her wedding, and I couldn't Mm -hmm. go in the temple. And I, I was just kind of like... Okay. Like, I don't yeah. understand why, but okay. Um, right. <laughs> that makes so much more sense now. Um, yeah. It's interesting that that's, that's the phrase. So like, do you feel like even though you understood that it was coming from a perspective of this is religion and this is how the religion works. Did you, do you feel like the, the, I am not worthy label was kind oh of, Oh my God. Yeah. So much. And that was, that was what led me down to the pit mm-hmm. was 
this constant feedback. I wasn't worthy to go to the temple, which was my favorite place on the planet, literally. Mm-hmm. I wasn't worthy to pray in public. I wasn't worthy to take the sacrament on Sundays. I wasn't worthy to teach the Sunday school class. Like, it's just all this feedback. And I'm continually meeting with my religious leader to see if I've gained back all those privileges. Mm-hmm. And the feedback was, no, you haven't. Mm-hmm. No, you're not getting your temple recommend back. Mm-hmm. No, you're not worthy of that. So how, where else are what other path can you be on except towards a pit, right? If, if your entire spiritual framework is telling you that you're not worthy, mm-hmm. like that's where you head to. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not your spiritual framework, like what I love about the story you just told and the conversation that we're having, it's, yeah, we're talking about it from a perspective of, of religion and, and sexuality to some, to some extent, like, mm-hmm. but it's really about like all of these these labels that we have, all of these things that come to define us, you know, mm-hmm. questions of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And we talked before the podcast about getting out of our head. Yeah. So like, how would you kind of tie all of these things together? If you had to like give someone a piece of advice, if they're feeling like all of this stuff is defining me and I don't know who I am and I don't know what steps to take forward to become more authentic. How would you like, advise them really to get out of their head? Like what tips would you give them? I love it. That is the crux of the conversation. Isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) We had to tie it up. (laughs) Right. It really is. Um, It's really about releasing. Mm -hmm. I was forced to release. I was forced to release um, my labels so that I could maintain my sanity. Right. Mm -hmm. I was forced to release a lot of things so that I could, keep my sanity, keep my kids, keep my life. And I hope and pray that other people can prevent being forced to Mm -hmm. let go of their labels. Um, So how can you do that? If if you know you're living a life that's defined by your labels, your identity is defined by your labels, the very first step, and you and I know it and we talk about it and it sounds so trite, but it is what it is. You have to bring stillness into your energy. You have to bring stillness into your mind. My thoughts were defining every decision. They were defining my relationships. They were defining how I ran my body. I needed to shut them up. And I got to a point where I had to use medication. And I really think a preventative way to do that is through daily meditation. Mm -hmm can develop strategies to turn the voices off for a little bit mm-hmm. so that who you really are can it can come through to you and it can speak to you I'm at a point now I was I'm actually taking this body image class because I feel like that's my last like sliver in the hand right like mm-hmm. my last thing that I'm really struggling with and I and I had a really great epiphany because she asked the very simple question In your meditation practice, ask yourself, what does a happy, healthy lifestyle look to you? And it wasn't until I took that question into my meditation when the answer came quickly, very clearly. It was A, B, and C. And I loved A, B, and C. And I don't know why that hadn't occurred to me before, but wow, that makes me feel happy and healthy. That's exactly what I want. And it was because I had done a year and a half of meditation, right? 
so that when I brought that question into my practice, it was just clear and it was easy and it was flow, mm-hmm. right? Something I have never had before. Mm-hmm. I love that example too. Like, I feel like sometimes it does seem trite to sometimes you'll see an exercise like a personal growth exercise of like define what success means for you or define what health means for you. I do a lot of that stuff. And the first time I did it was with one of my, my high performance coach that I had back in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had me define all of these things. And one day I read back to her what my definition of health was. And it was all about like, yeah, I wanted to feel good in my body, but it wasn't about how many inches my waist size was or or like how many, like what pant size I wore. Mm-hmm. It was about physical capability more than anything. I wanted to be able to go hike, to do this, to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just told her about my weekend and like what I'd spent my weekend doing before our session. And she goes, Ellen, do you realize how many things you just crossed off of your physical, like your health definition? Like how many boxes you just checked? Right. And it was like this epiphany moment of like, who gives a shit Yeah. about like, it's really, really hard. Yeah. To release these, these labels of what it looks like to be a healthy person or a spiritual person or a mm-hmm. successful entrepreneur or speaker or whatever the fuck it is. Like there are all of these labels, but defining it for yourself mm-hmm. is powerful. So if I had to add anything, long spiel summarized. Um, if I'd add anything to what you just said about meditating, which I a thousand percent agree with, it would be couple that meditation with some sort of writing practice. Yeah. Call it journaling if you want to, or call it just periodically sitting down and asking yourself, okay, what does success mean to me? What mm-hmm. does it mean to me to be worthy or to be enough? Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to me to have a like a happy family? Like, what do these things mean to you? Because your labels and your definitions are going to be, be very different. Yeah. And mine, then Elena's, then your favorite celebrity, like they're going to be super different. But if you don't know, how can you know if you're on the right track? Yes. Yes. I love it. And they're going to be different. Allow them to be different than your community, whatever that is. If it's a religion or if you have an extended family or you're in school, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever your community is, allow those labels to be different. And I feel like a massive way to do that is to release judgment. Mm -hmm. So for me, I really preach the concept that mindfulness is the intentional ability of observing our thoughts and actions without judgment. So that was probably what I spent the first full year doing was releasing. I had been so entrenched in judgment Mm -hmm. that I didn't, I couldn't recognize where it stopped and where it ended, like, and where it began, like, judgment was everywhere. I was judging my kids. I was judging myself. I was judging my husband. Everything was being judged all the time. Mm-hmm. And so to become aware of that, to become mindful of that and to, to realize, okay, I need to release this label of being a wife. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't have to be judgment attached to that. That doesn't mean I failed. That doesn't mean I've won. Mm-hmm. It just means I can let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What would you say to someone who asks, like, okay, it's it's easy to say, like, do it without judgment, but like, how do I do that? So the first part is becoming aware of the judgment. And mm-hmm. I do feel like that's a multi-step process. And I take it um, from something that's very easy to something that's very hard. So I always start with be aware of judgment around nature. Like, who can judge nature? <laughs> 
but well, you I'm judging it right now because it was sunny when we started this <laughs> podcast interview and now it is gray and cloudy and I'm pissed. Oh, so, yeah. there's that. There's a little bit of judgment there, honey. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> so just becoming mindfully aware of like, the example that I use is that my stepmom hated wind, hated wind. It was, it made her want to punch someone in the throat. Like it was just really anxiety producing for her. And eventually she and my dad decided that their ultimate retirement was to live on a sailboat. There's a little bit of wind on a sailboat. (laughs) So that was a struggle for her. And yet the first time it was within the week of getting the sailboat, they went on a sail and there were dolphins that swam next to them. And that was like, heaven to her that was hugely fulfilling and all of a sudden wind was no longer an issue (laughs) because wind meant she could swim with dolphins and so but she had spent 65 years of her life hating wind and Mm -hmm. jetting wind and like deciding today's a bad day because it's windy right so I try to use that example a lot for people like just be mindful of what your relationship is with nature and if there's any judgment there. And then it progresses to heavier things like judgment within your community, judgment within your marriage, judgment within your relationship with your kids. Um, judgment, how did judgment manifest when you were a child? What's your first memory of being judged? For me, when I'm judged on my appearance, I've been able to track it back to a very specific memory, a reaction that my mother had for an outfit that I was wearing, and it created like this pit in my stomach, and I was a little bit nauseous. And now anytime I walk into a social situation where I'm like feeling judged by my appearance, I have that same physical reaction. Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, I could say, oh, it's just nerves, right? And now I say, oh, I'm feeling judged. Mm -hmm. Recognize it release it, let it go. And I know we talked about labels, but sometimes using the right word to describe the thing you're feeling is so important. Oh my God. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like it's judgment. Call it what it is. Like Mm -hmm. that in and of itself is powerful. That's called emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and how you get to emotional intelligence is being self-aware or Mm -hmm. mindful, whatever synonym you want to use. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like I like that you said like whatever synonym, that word's hard, synonym you want to use because I, mindfulness to me, like I can't shut off the scientist brain. It will always be with me 10 years of my life. Yes. Um, Mindfulness feels woo-woo to me, but to say self-aware, yeah, that doesn't feel woo-woo to me. That's like, if anything, I've kind of come to realize this about myself. If there's any common vein to what I do, it's self-awareness. Yes. Yeah, you are. You very much preach that and all the different ways to access self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So first step was self-awareness, right? First step of the judgment was self-awareness. And we had like emotional intelligence and all yep. of that weaved in there. What would you say another tip is for, for how to be less judgmental? Um, well, yeah. So being aware of the judgment, being able to let it go. Mm-hmm. It's really just that standard practice of um, it's just very, <laughs> it's simple and complex at the same time. Mm-hmm. For example, today I'm on my walk mm-hmm. and I noticed someone has left an empty bottle of wine on the sidewalk in our like residential community that's full of kids. Right. 
And and immediately my brain started to go, oh, there was a bunch of teenagers here last night, and they were hanging out on the side of red, rah, 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 and like making up the story. And I'm like, Alina, let it go. <laughs> like, let it go. Because if I don't let it go, the next time I see teenagers in the neighborhood, like my own boys, yeah, I'm going to have that story in my head, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of like, be just being aware of your thoughts mm-hmm. and not judging yourself for having the thoughts. Like I didn't need to say, Helena, you're such a da 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 because you you think of this. No, I don't have to judge myself as well. There's no self-flagellation that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I totally agree with that. And that's really how, like, for those of us that are really in our, our damn head so much, like that that is how we get out. Like, yeah. yeah, it's being aware, but it's also learning to let it go and yeah. like not like in your head being like, wow, I'm such a piece of shit for judging someone like, no, you're not. You're a human being who right. is probably a little flustered and stressed out. So <laughs> take a breath, take a breath, maybe and then have a think, hot bubble bath, you know, right. They're the best. And then I think there's really a huge part of when you get into that vein of not judging yourself, not judging others, because it's pretty much the same thing, mm-hmm. you get on that path, then you're able to actually get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you're a, a lot of clarity happens when you can say, oh, I actually really don't like that. Or I actually really love this experience that I had. And I want more of that experience, mm-hmm. even though that sounds dumb because it's whatever crocheting. Guys, I, I literally talked to my middle schoolers about this this week. So, yes, I totally agree. Sorry, keep going. Yes. Yeah. Like when you allow yourself to not judge yourself, what you really want and what you really think comes to the surface. Mm-hmm. And then you get to make choices for your future mm-hmm. that will actually fulfill you, that mm-hmm. will actually move your life forward in the way that you want to go mm-hmm. rather than how your community wants you to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. And if I had to add anything to that, just because it happened to me this morning, like sometimes you, you actually mentioned this in part of your story and it totally resonated with me. You, you mentioned wanting to shut the feeling down. So for you, it was, you know, same sex attraction for me. Some of the feelings that I felt like I had to shut down were feelings like I didn't want to be in my graduate program. Right. Currently experienced feelings that I want to shut down about I have felt very, very triggered about seeing things on social media about, are you treating your business like a hobby? And I have been so triggered by those. And I've been trying to shut that feeling down, like whatever Ellen, like, don't like, don't let this get to you. But sometimes the feeling that you're trying to shut down, and this is self-awareness in and of itself. And this is also not being judgmental in and of itself. Sometimes those things that you're trying to shut down are exactly the things that you need to stop repressing and just let come to the surface and just listen and just observe those thoughts. Don't judge them. Don't feel like you're a piece of shit or like you're ungrateful or you're selfish for someone else is judging you. Right. That poster of that of that Instagram post was not judging you specifically, but man, we can get defensive and feel like she was. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Like that in and of itself, if you can learn to just let those things that you're resisting come to the surface and just be with them. Yeah. Which like that might sound woo woo, but literally just like let them come up and and see what happens. Look Mm -hmm. for those patterns. 
And that in and of itself is going to show you, okay, maybe this is really what's going on here. That's going to allow you to be self-aware about what you want, what you don't want, what direction you're being pointed down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's powerful. Like we could learn so much about ourselves Mm -hmm. if we stopped judging the things that if we're really honest, deep down, we know we want and that we need and that are the right steps down the path for us. Yes. Yes, we really can. And as we get to know ourselves, a huge key factor for me has been, you know, when I was at that really low point and making really poor decisions about myself, and people would say things either directly or indirectly via social media, can you just love yourself? How, How can you love yourself? And it just felt so inaccessible. And it was finally a year and a half down the road when I had been practicing non-judgment and mindfulness and self-awareness that I realized I really like, like I've learned about myself X, Y, and Z. And I actually really like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm starting to love myself Mm -hmm. because I'm getting to know myself. Mm -hmm. I love now that I'm attracted to women, to Mm -hmm. one woman very, very specifically. Like it makes me so happy. I love it. (laughs) Right. And I have all these different things that are, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge strength in X, Y, and Z. And yet I love how I think about it. I love how I approach it. I love how I release judgment around it. I've gotten to know myself and now I can say, I love myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without any hesitation, Mm -hmm. right? No footnotes needed. I love myself. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if we could like summarize this interview in any sort of way, it's like judge judge less, judge yourself less, judge others less, but judge less so that you can free yourself yes. to be more authentic. And for this whole self-love movement, yeah. if you can learn to accept the person you are, like yeah. no like no, nothing that you're holding back there. But if you can learn to accept everything you are, that's going to lead you to self-love. Yeah. And be open to getting to know who you are. Exactly. Regardless of those labels that we've adopted as our identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. I kind of wondered as we got into this, how we were going to like wrap the whole thing up. because There's so many ways we could go, but I love it. I love yeah. it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Full transparency, I've actually avoided listening to other interviews that you've done because I wanted the first time I heard your full story to be when I eventually interviewed you. (laughs) Uh, So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, Do you have any other last kernel of wisdom you'd want to share with the people who listen to this, primarily, you know, millennial women who listen to this podcast? Um, What would, do you have any last thing you would want to leave to them? Yeah, um, I do. Thank you for asking that. I've been working on this idea and this will be the first time I've shared it, but I think it's powerful. Okay. We're all juggling balls, right? We're juggling the ball of like, maybe it's student, maybe it's entrepreneur, wife, mother, girlfriend, daughter, cousin, whatever it is, right? We're juggling many, many balls, taxi driver, (laughs) like all the things. Or Uber driver. We're juggling all these balls and we all feel that that is a universal feeling that we are all juggling things. And some of them we toss up really, really high 
and we, we, we work on it. Right. And others, we just, they just go through and we don't put a lot of thought into it. And a lot of people will feel like here I am saying you need mindfulness. You need to meditate. You need to journal. You need to move your body in an intentional way. And they'll say, you're just handing me another damn ball. Like, how many balls can I juggle? Are you freaking kidding me? I can't juggle that one too. Mm -hmm. And to that, I say, mindfulness is not another ball. Mm -hmm. You actually don't know this, but you're juggling the balls with a blindfold on. Mm -hmm. When I hand you mindfulness, I'm actually taking off your blindfold so that you can actually see the damn balls you're juggling. You're dropping things you don't even realize you're dropping. And you're tossing some of them up in the air way too high. Like, let me take your blindfold off so you can see it all. Mm -hmm. And you can decide which balls you actually want to juggle. Mike dropped. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody's had that profound of an insight to wrap up a podcast. So, yeah, you definitely need to start talking about that metaphor much more often because I'm obsessed with it. I was thinking exactly as you were saying it, we're not adding more balls. No. Like maybe some of the the balls you're juggling will get a little bit bigger, but we're not adding any balls. No. If anything, we're taking balls away. Yeah. Yeah. We're making it easier. We're making it clear. There's a lot of clarity that comes. Exactly. Powerful, powerful stuff. And I'm quite excited to ask you. So we've got three wrap-up questions. We Ooh, okay. at the end of the podcast. No one's ever done wrap-up questions. I've always not, wanted to. Oh, really? Okay, cool. They're not that great, but um, <laughs> I like them. So this is a, it's a personal growth-oriented podcast. I feel like you've given people a lot of places that they can assess themselves to grow in today. And I know that we both vibe on being people who are very, very intentional about the growth that we're making. But I'm always curious, like, what is growth mean to you? Because I think that's a very personal question. Wow. Yeah. Because I think if you'd asked me in my weightlifting days, right, in my health oriented days, Mm -hmm. growth, it would have been a very different answer. Um, Now, and I reserve the right to change my answer later. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Just follow her on social media, which we'll get to in a little bit. Right now, growth is being more and more aligned with who I really am. Mm -hmm. I spent way too much of my life not aligned with who I really am. I don't Mm -hmm. have the time to waste anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And very succinct too. (laughs) Alignment. Okay. Next wrap up question is I am obviously a book nerd. You know this about me. Um, What are some of your favorite resources? It doesn't even have to be books per se, but what have been some of the things that have allowed you to be more intentional in your growth and to step more into your alignment with who you are. Yes. Um, I will start with my very first one. Um, I was in that rental house and I was trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. And a friend recommended that I read love warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton. And as I was reading it, I I had this intense experience of seeing myself on that page You know, she'd say things like, I didn't really enjoy cuddling with my husband of 15 years. I was like, me too. (laughs) Like, 
I just every page I turned was like a me too. And here's this published author who's doing this amazing thing. Now at the end of Love Warrior, she's still with her husband. And so, but I knew the book had been published like five years before. So I immediately Google, I read the whole thing in like one night. So it's now like four in the morning. I've tried to get myself upstairs to my bed, but now I'm just sitting on the stairs in the middle of the night on my phone, Googling her name and realizing that that book launched, she went on that book launch tour and met her now wife, Abby. And when she came home, she immediately flew home from the tour and said, Craig, I have to talk to you. And he goes, you're gay. And she's like, yeah, I think I am. And now she has this beautiful, wonderful life with Mm -hmm. her wife, Abby. And so there I am in the middle of the night realizing No, she didn't just stay on the beach with her husband, how the book ends. She found love. She found real love. She divorced her husband and found real love. And oh my gosh, I can do it too. (laughs) It was massive for me. It was literally life-changing for me. Um, But podcasts have been absolutely amazing for me. Right now I'm listening to Mindfulness Plus. Um, it's, It's a short, it's like 20 minutes maybe per episode. But he has this amazing voice. That's why I listen to it. He's got a great <laughs> tone of his voice. And he makes me think about things differently. And I really enjoy that. And it's short. Um, but the long version one that I'm enjoying right now is Broken Brain with Drew Pruhowit. I don't know what his status is. Um, show notes, people. Show notes. Yeah, we'll, right? we'll, we'll link it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and that's been, he's had some people on there that have really resonated with me and have really opened my eyes up to new thoughts. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am right now. I'm also like kind of looking into Gabby Bernstein. Mm-hmm. All, when I said alignment, I've really been looking into alignment and flow mm-hmm. because I'm realizing like I have manifested stuff in my life powerfully mm-hmm. without even realizing it. I manifested the car I drive right now. I manifested the house that I'm buying right now. Like some powerful stuff has happened. And now I want to like tap into that and do that a little more intentionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, good recommendations. And I've never read Love Warrior, but I do follow Glennon Doyle. And Abby Wambach is one of the best soccer players to ever play for the U.S. Women's National Team. So hells yeah. Have you ever heard the story? So they have three kids, the youngest Uh two are daughters that play soccer. And so last season, Abby volunteered to be the parent coach for for Tisha's soccer team. She's like 10 or 12 or something like that. And so she coaches the team the whole season. And then at the end, it's like the second to last practice. And she's saying something like, yeah, when I was playing soccer, and she told a story. And one of the kids goes, oh, who did you play soccer for? (laughs) Like, See if I was a United like casually drop in when I played in the World Cup. Um <laughs> like what? This, these twelve year olds had no idea that Oh my god, you lucky little punks. <laughs> Who'd you play soccer for? They were thinking like a college somewhere, right? She's like the US women's national team. I'm like the leading scorer of all time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Actually. Um just a little bit awesome. Just anyway, tangents have been had today. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So I then, did like that story. 
I know. I love that. That's hilarious. And those kids are seriously the luckiest little punks. I'm so jealous. For real. Um, all right. So then last but not least, yeah. if people are loving you, resonate with you, or just feel so inspired, empowered by you, which if you don't, you're insane. So anyways, um, where, where can people find you and where can people follow you? Gosh. So I have a website, elenajoyexperience.com. Um, my informal stuff that you'll really get to see the human side of me is all on Instagram, Elena Joy Experience. Um, so on the weekends, the hobby that I picked up where I met my girlfriend was fly fishing. So on the weekends, my girlfriend and I go fly fishing whenever we don't have the kids. And I love to take a lot of videos of that. Super fun. Um, and then I have a page, Elena Joy Experience on Facebook, and that's where you can, um, I, I drop a lot of downloads, like literal downloads, like PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> I like the clarification there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I really like to give my audience as much value as possible, so I try to make sure that that's all there. And mm. yeah, I'll have my next retreat is in February. I'll release that Black Friday weekend. Super excited about that. Um, there's going to be a really dynamite, you know what, remind me later, I'm going to put an offer for that retreat just for your listeners. Oh, yay. I actually was just about to pull up the schedule to see right about when this is launching, yeah. which might be right around Black Friday weekend. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it will be um, just after Black Friday weekend is when it's scheduled to launch, but I can always flip flop things around for you. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'd love to offer your listeners um, some value add for that retreat. That will be great. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. that. Ah, Elena, it was wonderful having you on here. It was wonderful hearing your story in full and hearing some of you know, the wonderful takeaways that you have for people for how they can be more authentic, less judgmental toward themselves, and just get out of their damn heads and be more than so I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This is awesome. Thank you so much. But before you go, one last thing. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Growth Tribe. And thank you so much for your support. If you've been enjoying what you're hearing and you want to help me and all of our wonderful guests get their message out, there are a few things you could do. You could send an episode that you really loved to a friend that you really think would appreciate it. You could subscribe and give us a five-star review on iTunes, or you could take a screenshot and post it in your Instagram or Facebook story. I love stories, and I would love nothing more than the opportunity to shout you out and send you a massive thank you. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Growth Tribe. <laughs>